Tulwraka, my name is Fintan Lutratamboa, and this is the Beyond the Narrative podcast. This is a podcast that values the story that lives in everyone. It showcases the complex and dynamic truths of everyday Pacific Islanders and those that are blessed enough to call the Pacific home. It hopes to consciously seek out complete narratives and truths and at its core believes in justice through storytelling and purpose through service. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond the Narrative podcast and I hope that you enjoy the show. This is Fintan Lutnatambo and you're listening to the Beyond the Narrative podcast. Uh, in studio with uh, with me this evening, I have Andrew Paris. Uh, we're chilling out in Pacific Harbor. It's a really good night. It's been a really good day. Uh, and it's not as humid, hot and sticky <laughs> as other nights in Pacific Harbor have been. Uh, yeah, but super fortunate to have some time with Andrew to talk about... Um, all the things that we can talk about on this podcast, right? Uh, we'll dive a little bit into his work around the ocean and, and plastics and and some of that. Uh, but for right now, Andrew, it'd be really cool if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Pulavanaka Fenton, um, thank you for finally gracing me in your with your presence. Um, a lot of our conversations aren't in front of a mic setup, and uh, yeah, we've been friends for many, many years now. And uh, just a bit about myself. Um, right now, I'm doing my masters um, at the University of the South Pacific um, in the School of Marine Studies. Um, I also do a bit of teaching, and when I'm not doing research or teaching, I'm father to beautiful baby girl um, before I ask you my next question uh, it would be cool if you could bring your daughter's name into this space um, my daughter's name is Riani Fane Paris beautiful uh, and uh, yeah I guess I'm curious if you know any stories around uh, your name like how you got your name uh, where does Paris come from? Uh, anything like that? Um, well, what I was told by my dad was that I was named after a member of the royal family, Prince Andrew, um, who, who came to Fiji once. Well, he might have come to Fiji a f- couple times, but he came to Fiji once sometime close to when I was born. So I think my dad got inspiration from him then. Back in the days, he was he was seen as one of the better members of the royal family, um, being the younger brother to Prince Charles. Cool. So got that name from Prince Andrew, who visited Fiji once upon a time, um, maybe around the year that you were born. So early 90s? They're about Um And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. And the next question I want to ask you is, um, what role, if any, did spirituality or religion or faith play in your childhood and your upbringing? Um, Spirituality um, 
I think it played quite a big part in my brain. Um, my dad was never one to go to church. Um, he called himself an atheist, but he'd always encourage us to go to church. Um, my mom started taking us to a Catholic church at a very young age. We were baptized when we were babies, and you kind of just, there's a path that you take as a young Catholic, being brought up in the islands. Um, but my dad remarried. My stepmom was also Catholic, and she was the one that splashed cold water on us on Sunday mornings and chased us around with a sasa broom to try and make sure that we were up at 7.30 to go to church on Sundays. Um, so I wouldn't call myself a devout Roman Catholic, but I'm a, yeah, I'm a practicing Roman Catholic, and it's been like that mm-hmm. ever since I can remember. And how much has that sort of discipline, like, like how has that played on in your life? Like, because like it's a practice, right? You're constantly sh- choosing or not being forced to by your mm-hmm. stepmom to go to this thing, but that, that's like a behavior that keeps on going. And I think that's also a lot of discipline. Like it takes discipline to like, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go and sit down and pay attention, right, in church. How do you think some of that sort of teachings around going to church on Sunday has helped you with your life? I think it's played an integral part of my life. Um, listening to Bible scriptures every Sunday, you you don't pay attention every Sunday, mm-hmm. but some readings, some scriptures, some teachings really resonate um, with you in your life, and you really want to put what you learn into into practice, especially especially um, sermons or teachings that revolve around giving back to charity. Um, you know, um, if you get slapped at one cheek, give the other cheek. Um, yeah, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's really played a big part in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always really incredible to, like once you start really thinking about it, how much of a role stories play in how you view the world, mm. right? Because these yep. were stories of like sermons uh, and so on and so forth, and it's really helped shape the way you look at this life. Mm. Like if it's because it's a choice, I'm going to do community work. Mm. And you've done a bunch of community work. You also served as the president uh, for Rotaract, right? Yep. What was what was that like, your, your stint? <laughs> um, it was tumultuous times but very very rewarding um, I've always tried to donate try to give a whole bunch of my time to selfless causes and especially giving back to the community um, being the president of Rotaract was awesome because you had more of a say on where to focus where your effort should be considered in the envir- in, in your community in the environment in and um, being a member for three, four years prior, you kind of see what direction you want to take. You kind of see um, your own ideologies come into play, right? And then you start to have a good idea of where you want to focus time, effort, money, thing, resources, things like that. And this is one of... I haven't been very active in that space, but I'm looking to get back in and it's always been super rewarding for me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things that like really jumps out at me right now uh, is uh, I think the, the gift of being in community with others, right? Mm. So it's the same sort of thing. You go to church every Sunday, mm. you're in community with folks there. Uh, and so it's always interesting to like, as you see people grow, some people actively seek out community and that manifests with like all of this community works, you know, uh, work with Rotaract. So it's the, because it's almost the same thing. You're choosing a day once a week to meet mm-hmm. with folks, yep. to like listen to stories, plan big things, figure out how you're going to show up for uh, for Fiji. And, and that's been really good for you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. been awesome. The, the, you, you can draw a lot of parallels between um, the church community and the Rotaract or the community service group but the the better thing about community service group is um you you fundraise you everything money time you can choose what to do with it right you're not being told what to do with it um i think with a lot of like for instance the catholic church one thing i don't agree on is all the money you give in the collection where does it go? You don't see it. Whereas being in a club like Rotaract, you have a pretty much a very important say on where that money is spent. And that's one of the better things that I enjoyed about Rotaract. Eh? But yeah, a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you, you pulled on this idea of um, stewardship of resources, mm. right? It's just like, if this is money or, or any type of resources that's been given by a group of folks, how do we best steward this, right? Uh, so it's useful for everyone. And also this element of like transparency and accountability, mm. right? Yep. Which, which I think is so important because if you can be trusted with a little, you will be trusted with a lot, right? Yep. Um, yeah, and so that's, so yeah, it's, it's really, I think it's a good reminder to like if you if you have the opportunity to like look after something or serve something to like try your best to be as as uh, honest and truthful with it mm. as possible. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah? It's 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 a character building thing too, isn't it? And yeah, a lot of the frustrations in current leadership and you know political spiritual arenas. Um, it feels good to you know to actually put into practice things that you don't see happen in everyday life and and try and instill that trust in other members and I think it's and I, I shared those I, I, I can't speak for all the members of Rotaract but that's something that we were all very proud of you know, having everything open, transparent listening to the voices of other people you know, taking into account their opinions and things like that yeah. So yeah, it's good you touched on that. I never really thought about that. Mm. Thanks for that. Uh, and so basically, what you've done as well is you've just like modeled a different way of leadership, right? Like uh, leadership really can be a spectrum, mm. and yep. most of the times we only focus in on uh, leadership that uh, sh- that that acts a certain way, right? So it could be like very. Um, 
like extroverted types of leadership. Like leadership mm. is like being at the front, being the loudest, mm. you know, commanding mm. the whole room. Where I think uh, on the spectrum of leadership, leadership can also be like diving into the details, figuring out how every single cent is mm. spent, uh, making sure you're listening to as many people in the room as as possible to get like a diversity of perspectives mm. and opinions and then make informed decisions around mm. that, right? Yep. And so modeling that for new and incoming, I think, presidents was super useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is useful. It's good to see that some of your, some of the things you, you practice um, and some of the things you preach about being shown by other people mm. and being put into place by other people. And yeah, it's good to see that legacy kind of continue itself, perpetuate mm-hmm. itself. Brilliant. Yeah, so we've been talking a little bit about um, what's been keeping you busy, apart from bringing up a super gorgeous baby. Uh, and maybe we'll take a break now, and in our next segment, talk about uh, other ways that you have been busy doing stuff, mainly with the oceans. Yep. Yeah. Look forward to it. All right. Brilliant. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay with us. We will be right back. I'm Fenty Lunatomboa and this is the Beyond the Narrative podcast. Tonight I'm uh, speaking with Andrew Paris uh, and Andrew's actually at the minute we heard we actually let me let me say this better. We heard from Andrew earlier that he is a dad to a beautiful uh, a, a ball of energy. Uh, Riani, am I saying it correctly? Yes. Uh, and apart from being a full-time dad, Andrew also uh, teaches part-time. Uh, he he has like dabbled in community service work with Rotaract and and plans to uh, you know figure out time management and try and get back into it. Um, and he also let us know that he's currently doing his masters in the School of uh, Marine Studies at the University of the South Pacific. And I think I think that's where. Uh, like I'm super curious about <laughs> like it sounds so fancy uh, tell us what uh, an average day for you is like uh, no tell us what an average day out in the field for you is like oh, even better okay. even better um, a lot of our field work involves getting out on the water um, this, this is how a normal day in the field would go mm. right we leave Suva bright and early a lot of our sites are further away from Suva so we get out to the whatever site it is, and we've one of six around Vitilevu, and five out of these six sites are us, our village sites, work, working with local communities. Um, so you, you got to get to the village. Um, first things first, once you step foot in the village, you, you kind of have to adhere to the village protocols. Um, conduct your sevu sevu. Um, and that is usually done for us because um, I can't really as a as a half caste it's not really seen as you know proper for someone non itauke well on my own thinking anyway yeah I, 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 I yeah. could pull it off but I don't think it would do the whole thing justice sure and it's also just like uh, 
different people play different roles. Different people, yeah. Different roles. So how roles, do you yeah. lean and into your truth and power? That's right. And play that's that right. out, right? And this this nuances between different villages, how you do the protocol, things like that. So, but I'm I'm learning though, and I'm hope to hoping to get there one day. Um, so once once the save save was done, more often than not, we gotta mix up some cover. And you look down at the time, it's half past 10 in the morning and you're having big balls of cover when you've got a long day out on the boat in front of you. can be a bit uh, daunting, but you, you, take them, you take the big ones as they come and uh, you try to do your best to make sure community members are happy. Uh, as as you drinking... Drinking grog and drinking cover is a good way for us to sort of break the ice, break the tension, talk to the villagers about the research that you're doing, you're trying to elicit some information on how their marine resources are, how they're, how well they're doing with fishing, how well the women are doing, gathering seafood, things like that. Um, so a very good time to get information as well as to give back to the community and explain to them what we're doing. And if we had some previous information, results that came our way, share that with them. Um, usually once that's done, we start prepping ourselves to head out. Um, we load all our equipment in the boat. And logistics-wise, there's a lot of stuff we have to take. We got to take eskies, uh, surgical kits. We got to take plankton nets. We got to take bottles. We got to take bags. We got to take fuel. We got to take ice. There's a whole bunch of things we have to load up. So. Packing, packing up and um, getting everything ready will take a good hour or two, and then off we go into the into the unknowns, into the usually usually the in, inshore waters around Fiji, less than five kilometers from from the mainland, which is which is good. Um, it's not it's not too far and it's not too too rough for us out there, um, and then. Yeah, all the research we do, um, we do some plankton toes, we catch fish, so we can, we, can, we can do marine pollution tests on the fish, we can do marine pollution tests in the water, we can do the same thing for sediment, we collect in deeper waters, in shallow waters, things like that. And then we come back and cook whatever fish we catch, and most, more often than not, drink more grog and yeah, fall asleep on the mat. Be serenaded by a cloud of mosquitoes <laughs> more often than not. <laughs> I love that you walked us through this because I love this idea of, um, which I think you spoke to so beautifully, this idea of doing the groundwork, right? Which is one of the things that has been, that, that, that continues to cause a lot of mistrust for researchers mm. is that they just rush right into mm. it and it becomes very extractive mm. right so this decision to actually slow it down because there's nuances and complexities that exist when entering a village uh, and we need to respect that and most importantly because they are the actual experts in the field mm. right yep. the, the, the fisher folk the, the villagers we need to be in relation with them and so that means even if you have a scheduled time of when you need to do stuff, if you grog till 11, you sit there and grog till 11 and write it out, right? And one way you've adapted to this that I think you mentioned was you've also used this opportunity to just chat, to um, gather information in a different way, right? Straight from the, the, 
the experts. So really, really glad that you uh, walked us through that. And so started 4 a.m., actually be out on the water around 12, uh, doing a whole bunch of research. You walked us through that. Uh, what's some of the scariest things that you found with your research with uh, the fish and the plankton? Um, what we're finding is that fish aren't as healthy and a lot of people assume that eating fish is is good for them because right? mm-hmm. we as islanders um, we're trying to st- steer back into traditional lifestyles and traditional diets um, I think we're being overwhelmed with tin food processed food um, things like that which are cheaper and a lot of people naturally think that reverting back to fish and seafood is automatically good for them the scary thing is the more we look into some of the fish the crabs the seafood we're finding that they aren't as healthy as we thought they were for the sole reason that we find these resources very close to areas where we inhabit and as a consequence of being in proximity to people and communities they aren't healthy because they are being exposed to a plethora of threats and one of the main ones that that we're finding out is pollution right Um, be it grey water wash off from houses and um, just, just dirty water that comes from the sink and washing clothes and things like that to more toxic things like people throwing car batteries, um, oil that's leaking into, leaching into the water, um, f- f- all all of that to your regular household waste, and one of those things is plastics. So yeah, that's to me that's one of the scary things, and the more we look into it, the more the more ominous things start to appear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is worrying, especially as um, when you when you have kids, you you're trying to think, you know, what kind of legacy we're leaving behind for them. Will they be able to enjoy fresh fish that's really nutritious for you, mm-hmm. rather than fish that's laced with lead and mercury and heavy metals and microplastics and pesticides and weedicides, herbicides, all those kind of things. Yeah, so that's that's to me that's one of the more that's one of the things that I really hate thinking about. And yeah. Also the fact that we haven't come up with any pragmatic workable solutions to counter these problems just yet. Are we working towards it and we're hoping that our research kind of plays a part in you know, trying to develop um, management efforts and having the science inform policy and hoping the, the the leaders of today and tomorrow will will make informed decisions based on some of the work that we do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so scary to think that a major source of protein for a lot of Pacific Islanders is actually not good for you right because um, for me the, the, the as you were talking through this it's just like how do we 
and you, I, I wanted to ask about the the solutions piece, a workable solution. And what the question that crossed my mind was, in management efforts, how how is the community, like how is the villages that at the sites that you go to, how are they brought into decision making around management efforts, right? So it becomes sustainable, mm. right? Because number one, question number one, how what's the community's role in like ensuring that these um, uh, solutions can be sustainable and lives beyond just whoever's alive right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you spoke to that a little bit uh, with like policy, right? Yep. But like on the ground, what does that look like? And my second question is, uh, I guess another like, how do you, how do you, like it's a massive behavior change thing. <laughs> like it's huge. Like huge. oh my god, how do you get people to come off single plastic use? How do you, like you'd think it's common knowledge not to throw a car battery into the ocean, mm. but that's happening. That's happening, right? And so, what's the work that needs to happen from like when you're a child? Like yeah, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on all of that. It's first of all, let me say it, it's not going to be easy. It's right. going to require concerted effort from, I think, some of the older people now are just too far gone. They're too set in their ways. Um, I think it's no secret Fiji has a rampant litter problem. Um, I've been to other Pacific Island countries. I've been to other countries around the world. And I think people have more civic pride. And, and they're more responsible with how they deal with their, their rubbish. Uh, they have different different theories for why people are a little bit more backward here and man there isn't one day I'm not on driving on the road and I see rubbish come flying out of a car or a tr- bus or a truck anything like that um, I have to clean the the road that's just in front of our house because people just throw rubbish out there um, it's going to take a real considered effort and man you're looking at m- more more waste-centered education and awareness in school curriculums. You're looking at um, public messages and TVs and radios. We're looking at more more enforcement, more penalties for people that do throw the rubbish anyhow. And hopefully, hopefully the research that we do can, and if we get the message out um, effectively, hopefully that'll also play its part in trying to in combat that the that problem that we do have and change the mindset and the paradigm. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if you want to add anything around the bringing in the community. Oh, one thing that we do always do is, and this is one reason why I love to sit down and drink grog, um, is I can tell them more about our research and then talk to them about what their issues are because a lot of these rural communities they don't have rubbish pickups right it's it's all just little landfills that's by the village and sometimes these landfills are near to rivers and things like that so hearing their stories as well as trying to teach them as best we can or just sharing information and sharing sharing knowledge and tr- trying the best you can to affect their way of life 
mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy for them as well. Like a lot of a lot of the people in the villages are just day to day trying to trying to survive. For sure. And so they're not gonna go out of their way to sort through the rubbish or things like that. It's something that should be made more accessible to them, and I think that's where the government of the day should kind of step in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds like ooh, that's that's a lot. Thank you so much for sharing. I've I've never had to think about these things, right? <laughs> yeah. So very simply, there's no s- simple, simple answer to this. There's no s- um, silver bullet to this mm-hmm. to this problem. Yeah, uh, and I think one one thing that you you said. Uh, when you said it, I wrote down, uh, and it was something that you were talking about earlier when you were sharing about Rotaract. Is like, how do we model good behavior right now? Mm. Right? It's just like, how do we get kids to like? So what? Like, how do we tap into our agency? Right? Given all of the things that come out of your research, how do we tap into our agency to like take ownership of this problem and then therefore model like the legacy piece that you were speaking to? So our our children don't inherit all this mm. like unhealthy fish right uh, yeah. yeah I'm feeling pretty full with that that's a lot lot to process so I how you feeling about taking a break and then we're coming back yeah let's let's take a break let's let let that sink in yeah um, there's uh, like I said there's no one problem there's no one fix to this it's it's a complex set of problems mm-hmm. And it, a lot of the issues are deep rooted, so the more I talk about it too, the more I kind of you know come up with different different ideas and different things. So yeah, let, let's let's take a break. Let it let that sink in. Yeah, it's like how do you tackle consumerism? <laughs> Capitalism, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> how do you uh, combat Westernism and this consumerist <laughs> culture? We have? All right, wonderful. Uh, thanks for staying with us. We'll be right back. I'm Fethi and this is Beyond the Narrative. Uh, I've been chatting uh, a lot with uh, Andrew Paris, who's been uh, telling us a little bit about his uh, research work that he does with different communities. And as we wrapped up the second segment, and uh, during the break, we actually was talking about one of the things that he mentioned around um, how do we how do we insert education in school curriculum right uh, to like model better behavior for up for the new generation and I shared with Andrew a story uh, about I think I was in maybe class three and I remember this group uh, WAC Theater Women's Action for Change they came with like very simple puppets and they did this puppet show on like the horrors of throwing your trash out the window and that like stuck with me for such a long time uh, and uh, yeah and it really shaped the like my relationship to littering right like it was wrong to litter mm. put your rubbish in the bin like super simple messaging but it stuck with me mm. and then it like opened up doors on like there, there's ways in which you can get all of this important information into school curriculum that doesn't necessarily need to be read in a book mm. right uh 
people, children, especially Pacific Islanders, uh, we use our bodies as resources. Many, 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 like we told stories through our bodies. You know, it's, it's a thing that we know to be true. And so just thinking about different learning styles, you know, you have the aud- auditory learners, the visual mm. learners, yep. you have the kinesthetic learners, mm. right? So how do we like, w- yeah, it's just an interesting concept of like, how, there's many ways you can teach a child, right? There's many ways you can learn a thing why are we limiting ourselves to just a single way of yeah yeah uh, as you said uh, a lot of for pacific islanders more specifically we learn things by doing we learn things by um hearing stories we learn things by being creative you know with uh, with the storytelling and mm-hmm. not having to read it in a book that's so one-dimensional man mm-hmm. it's just you almost almost become a chore you know reading about it mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's also this idea of like things that have been practiced for centuries, for generations, uh, ways in which wisdom has been shared, knowledge has been passed down. And so for a lot of these communities that rely on seafood, right, or, 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 or like uh, the river, right, uh, for food, for nourishment, uh, and I think the way you said it during the break was like, what other alternatives do they have? Mm. Right, the fish is literally being poisoned, uh, but what what other alternatives do they mm. have? The cause do they increase their like family weekly budget to buy more like sodium heavy imported like junk food that's mm. bad for you? Yeah. How does that impact health down the line? You know, it's it's like this. Yeah, I, I never really thought about the sort of interconnectedness. Mm. Of it all, yeah. and it, it started with the fish. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a complex web, and a lot, a lot of the things that I've witnessed firsthand. If if they don't have that fresh fish or kai or seafood, the option B is always either processed food, tin food, sodium heavy food. Um, yeah, which is. And the trend is decreasing availability and decreasing stocks of those natural resources. So it's leading down that that path. And yeah, that's that's also worrying to go back to what you're saying. Like things that worry you, eh? Mm-hmm. When you go out there and you see witness firsthand. Um, how do you feel about I feel like we've done a, a fair bit of, of time travel, <laughs> right? We went back. We mentioned going back generations, learning things through stories. And I wanted to do a bit of time travel with you right now. Mm. Um, so if you could go back in time and speak to 20-year-old Andrew, right? Uh, who was, you know, most of your late 20s, early 30s have been filled with different things all your work with your research with your masters la la so knowing everything that you know right now about the life that you're living and the way you move through this world right now what is a what is the the, the advice that you would give to 20 year old Andrew oh, man this is one of those deep kind of questions <laughs> I'll, I'll start off by saying that I try to live life with no regrets so I'm, I look back retrospectively and I might want to and you think that maybe you can improve in this area and that area, but you know I'm happy where I am, 
And something I would tell myself is it's gonna sound kind of cliche, but you know, copy DM, seize the day, um, don't sleep too much, smoke weed too much, <laughs> you know, get out there, meet people. If you're gonna study, study hard. If you're gonna work, work your ass off. If you're gonna be with a bunch of people, don't try not to be all introverted and all judgmental. You know, put yourself out there. Um, definitely try to drink less grog. We drank a lot of that in our twenties. Um, prepped you well for your research, right? <laughs> well, I was prepped well, but um, definitely kind of impacts you hard the next day eh, when you're trying to be productive and mm-hmm. you've got some blood in your grog stream and it's still very much coursing through your veins um, yeah that and just man your youth eh, it's looking back is it's live fast die young eh? it's it's getting out there and living every day to its fullest you know, you can go and run around and not have back problems for three weeks after that. You can go and have drink a carton of beer and not be hungover for three days. I mean, those were those are good simple times, huh? Simple you times, know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yes, young and carefree, and I don't know how we got all that money to drink and house party like we used to. Huh? Where did we uh, get our money from? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> We had some we had some crazy parties back in the day. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, I'm a big fan of of this time travel question because you realize the how much a gift hindsight is, right? Mm, definitely. Um, and yeah, and you said something that like really like oh yeah, don't sleep too much, right? which for me my what happened in my mind was like it went from oh it's interesting because right now and a piece of advice that I would give my 30 year old self is like make more time for rest <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Uh, which which isn't the same thing but it's somewhat the same thing like uh, we were just yeah there was a conversation that we were having a couple of weeks ago around like how rest and naps is a isn't of itself in a, 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 an act of revolution, mm. right? Mm. Uh, if we've been brought up in a society that teaches you uh, this soon as lie, as soon as you do this thing, you'll be happy. As soon mm. as you get this degree, you'll be happy. As soon as mm. you get that job, you'll be happy. We've been like packaged this as soon as lie. And part of that living life with all of these things is you just don't rest. Mm. Right, it's yep. just go, 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 go all the time, and I think, and I wanted to say that that way because I think just going back to what you're talking about with um, your research work, I think one of the things I'm most grateful for about being in the islands is our relationship to time. Like a lot of people make fun of Fiji time or like island time, but I think it really challenges the notion that every single minute of your day needs to be filled by productivity, Mm. right? As opposed to, this is a different way of being productive, taking the time to like slow down, sit down with community and talanoa 
and get the information that you need to make these changes that are so important, right? Mm. Like, yes, we want access to fish that's healthy, that won't harm our bodies, and we need to do this groundwork, okay. right? If we're going to envision like this world that we're building towards, we have to take the time to slow down, mm. to like rest, mm. or or another way of saying it is like even in your thirties, don't sleep so much. Mm. Right, yeah. be be woke, <laughs> be woke, be woke, and like you said, being productive doesn't necessarily equate to just constantly doing work. Exactly. Right, um, productive can also mean you know a good, con- meaningful conversation with your neighbor. It can be reading a good book. Mm-hmm. It can be just sitting outside and listening to the breeze and taking it all in and you know appreciating the moment. You know that's to me that's that's what productivity is. Eh? Not constantly. Constantly yeah. doing work, constant, constant. laboring. This idea of constant, constant work reminds me of this story I had once, like years and years and years ago, and it was a story around this uh, sheet of music, right? So if you look at a sheet of music, and it's just, and if if it's just note after note after note mm. after note mm. on this sheet of music, uh, you're not actually making music, right? You're, mm. It's just noise. Noise. So you need those rest times in between yep. to yep. like breathe yep. and sort of slow down uh, because that's the only way you'll make this masterpiece, yeah. right? You need and the rest time, you need that diversity. You different right. notes, not all notes are the same. Right. You have majors, you have minors, you right. have um, notes that are kind of all intense, squashed mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. then you have ones that kind of drag out. You know, you have chorus, pre-chorus, bridge, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's diverse as well as mm. you know less intense every now and then. Mm-hmm. So were you were you in the choir in Catholic? Uh, I was in the choir. <laughs> played played guitar a few times. Um, I wasn't wasn't a great singer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like to I like to make music. <laughs> I like to make music. Yeah. Oh, I I I feel really full from this conversation. So. Uh, thank you for taking the time to sit sit down with us. Um, and uh, and the other piece of advice that I think, actually, interestingly enough, no one has really said it uh, when when I've given them this time travel question is the, this idea of putting yourself out there, right? Like, get the heck out of your comfort zone, mm. yeah. right? Uh, live life without regrets. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's important as as a practice. It's just like, how am I comfortable? And what can I do to do something different? Yeah, right. That's it. Just being yeah. that self awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, such a such a great gift to leave with the listeners. Yeah, well, you look back and you know, I think it's gonna be like tomorrow. We, we bat an eyelid, and we're in our forties, probably doing our wireless podcast in a virtual reality <laughs> setting. <laughs> Like talking to robots and things like that. Huh? <laughs> all right, all right. It's, well, it's been super fun, yeah, Fenton. Yeah. It's, just, it's been great. All right. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, we'll, we, we will be right back. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and want to either follow 
more conversations that are bound to happen or keep this particular conversation going, I invite you to follow us on the Beyond the Narrative Instagram. Our handle is Beyond the Narrative. Or you can subscribe to our Beyond the Narrative SoundCloud, where all the episodes of the entire podcast will be stored. Uh, and if for some reason you have any specific questions uh, that I didn't get a chance to ask to any of the people that I interviewed, uh, feel free to reach out and I will connect you with all of the brilliant minds that have shared their truths so selflessly on our episodes. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Bin